Hello. <laughs> okay, that stays in. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back, listeners. This is Wine About Pedagogy, episode 37, the podcast where we do just that. But before we get into it, we'd just like to acknowledge um, our sincere gratitude and honor to be coming to you from the unceded traditional ancestral territories of the Musqueam people on a site that is now colonially known as and occupied by the institution that is the University of British Columbia. Part of our land acknowledgement, we'd like to highlight the work of Buffy St. Marie, um, who's had a lifetime's worth of work uh, as a musician and an activist and an artist, uh, but she's still going. Um, and uh, you have an excellent quote from her. I uh, do. So I think this quote really speaks to what we're going to be speaking about for the rest of the podcast. Um, the quote is, take a bunch of little kids to the beach and they all make art. Adults are too stupid to call it art, but it is art. They'll use their imaginations, make drama, make up characters, make pictures in the sand. They'll make up songs that no one's ever heard before. All kids, I think, are creative, but they get it pounded out of them in school. Thanks for reading that. It's beautiful. Okay, we should probably introduce ourselves. Who are these disembodied voices? Not drama teachers, that's (laughs) for sure. Well, my name's Britt. I am using she, they pronouns. Uh, My name is Abby. I also use she, they pronouns. I'm Amy, and I use she, her pronouns. And I am Zoe, and I use she, her pronouns. Let's get started. Wine <laughs> um, in a can. Yeah. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the questions that we are exploring is, I mean, I, I guess all the, the three guiding questions sort of have to do with um, unpacking sort of the co- colonial knowledges and the systems we're, we're working within. Mm-hmm. I think you have a great quote to start us off, don't you, Zoe? I do. There is so much juicy stuff to pull from Marie Baptiste's article, Animating Ethical Transsystemic Education Systems. But the one I think is my favorite little golden nugget is the quote, when educators consider mainstream education, who does the main belong to and who is privileged? And who is the streamed? Mm. Yeah. That's, I think that's very powerful. <laughs> yeah. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think talking about the stream and who is privileged, we also just wanted to, before we kind of get into the meat of all of our articles, we wanted to talk about the fact um, I know, especially for me, I, I read Entangled Bodies, uh, Black Girls Becoming Molecular, Molecular by Acelia Franklin Phipps. And we just all kind of wanted to acknowledge that we are four white women uh, talking about who is not represented. Um, we, I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of the time I, I feel very represented as a mm-hmm. white woman. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, we just wanted to acknowledge that we, yeah, we're four white women who are about to talk in, in detail about people who don't feel represented. So we just kind of wanted to put that forward before we keep going. 
Yeah, I think there's certainly a tension around that, and and then, but it's also, you know, that's part of the work too. That it's like, okay, we're in this. So then, yeah, like think about positionality and privilege, and and it's like, I don't know, something that's been coming up for me a lot lately in classes and conversations and just life. Um, is just that, you know, like I guess just that it's reinforcing the idea that like privilege is not a feeling, like it's not a feeling you can have. It's just it just is. It's a, mm-hmm. you know. So it just, I mean, I think that's sort of liberating, and it's certainly liberating when like thinking about fragility and stuff, where it's like, okay, this isn't about what you feel. It's just something you have. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of just like something to something to recognize, and depending on different spaces we're in things can shift so i had another good quote that really relates to that from Vitalis, tell us but i didn't write it down it's, it's very deep within the 24 pages but basically it said you know acknowledging privilege and um all these court like heavy systemic issues shouldn't be like this this place of you know negativity and sadness i think she uses the word springboard like we should use it as a springboard into imagining these new futures and systems and sort of ways of being and knowing and learning so yeah yeah, i think that's a really positive spin that you can get really caught up in oh i'm so privileged what do i do but like springboard yeah jump into it jump into it yeah i think that's that's such a great like metaphor to think of because I know in the times I've had conversations about privilege or I've been trying to talk uh, mostly to like family members about it I've noticed those I find are the hardest conversations mm-hmm. is talking to your family mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. privilege um, or even like uh, like when I started really looking at like where does my privilege come from and, and how has that developed like it is this fragility that comes up and it's this almost need to defend yourself. I know I hear the thing a lot of the time, um, I think mostly when I speak to my dad, who I would like to say is a lovely man, um, but like, <laughs> it's often the, well, I had to work. I didn't mm-hmm. just get things handed to me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think that springboard is the metaphor that might work to like finally get this understanding of, it doesn't, like privilege doesn't mean your life isn't hard. It means it's not hard for these reasons. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. Your life isn't hard because you're a white guy mm-hmm. like but it doesn't mean you haven't had struggles in your life but your struggles have not come from being a white man mm-hmm. yeah everyone use that line with my dad yeah. <laughs> everyone use that line all with the your dads dad. <laughs> and moms all the dads and, and moms yeah. and parents peoples well, I mean, and that being said, it's funny too, like, because age certainly I think is a factor and there is that sort of like generational resistance that happens sometimes, but there's also mm-hmm. plenty of people, like young people, like, you know, we inherit these ideas. That's like the power of, of a system and like, you know, like, you know, like kiddos who are walking around and, and have quite a lot of like, you know, internalized racism. Like I worked with a few mm-hmm. kids like that or internalized homophobia or, and, and like resistance to unpacking their privilege. And it's, you know, it permeates age you know I think that too what do you think Amy I don't know um oh you just said something just kind of um I don't know I'm just kind of thinking of the structure and the system that we're in it's just interesting because with the article that I read uh children and young people as geological agents time scale and multi-species vulnerabilities in the new Epcot um did I say that right? Anyway, uh, by Sophie Hadfield-Hill and Christina Zara. 
Um, they just, they, it's interesting because they are doing, um, uh, they're doing some research with some communities in India and it's interesting because these kids are striving to have a neoliberal future and it's it's just interesting so i'm just thinking about like the systems that are in place and yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and just with this neoliberal structure that they envision for their own future um instead of um just having nature like the natural surroundings they'd rather have concrete and build it up mm. yeah yeah. Yeah. It's sort of. I, I remember you talking about that, like from your article, that it's. Um, and I mean, it's interesting thinking about that Buffy Saint Marie quote as well, where it's like it's, it's um, it influences imaginations, mm-hmm. and then like you know we only. Um, I think I heard that about. I mean, don't do not quote me on this. I have no idea that where this comes from, but I remember like, um, like something about the human brain. Like we can only really create based on past experience. Like we can't necessarily envision a future that hasn't been in a way. So it's interesting thinking about that where it's like, if we do open things up a little bit more and incorporate different types of knowledges, then yeah, maybe it's not just concrete. Like it's mm-hmm. different, different world building can happen. Yeah. Yeah. But how do we get those knowledges prioritized? Yeah. How do we, how do we, you know, make space and, you know, sacrifice some of our beloved Eurocentric knowledge to make space. But I'm so comfortable. I love it. (laughs) Um, To make space for these new kinds of knowledges. Mm -hmm. How do you see that? Reinvent the system. Reinvent the system. Yeah, yeah. 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 Ooh, but what's that quote? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Juicy quote, juicy yeah. quote. From, not, not from any of the readings, but from a wonderful author mm-hmm. who I got to meet this weekend at a writing workshop, Nina Sharman. Um, the quote is, the system isn't broken, it's working as designed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. intentionally leaving some of these folks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's really interesting because it's so ubiquitous just to say the system, the system's broken, the system's broken. It's like, okay, no, it isn't actually. Yeah. And like that's becoming like I'm, you know, trends it just in in conversations that are happening and um, it seems to be there's more recognition around that like I don't know in some of the conversations I've had where it's like I think we're starting to kind of think that way where it's like okay we're we're working with this tension of the system like this is what's this is what's built and yet we're trying to resist it from the inside like it's just but I think that I think that can even be I don't know it sounds kind of like um you know it's it's depressing (laughs) but there's like that recognition of like it's been designed a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, then you have a point of resistance, I guess, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, yeah, Batiste's article talks a lot about sort of it being a cyclical thing where um, Indigenous students are becoming less interested in going into sciences because um, Indigenous knowledges aren't put at the forefront or mm-hmm. included enough, and so they're not, they can't connect to the way science is being taught in institutions, and so then they drop out, so then there's less, you know, Indigenous scholars and professors mm-hmm. coming into the system to make the changes, and it's just this really fucked up cyclical thing, and I'm like, that's intentional, like, mm-hmm. if the powers that be, like, these these powers could make the changes if they wanted to, but they, they don't, they don't yeah. want to. I think I don't, I don't know if this, this fully ties in, but 
it just makes me think of, so uh, in my article there was talk about, uh, so in this article, the author kind of talks about, um, the article mostly focused on uh, black women in predominantly white spaces, um, thinking about schools uh, or post-secondary institutions, um, and she did a few interviews with um, through black women, and one of them she was talking about how, so she, uh, the, the article also talked a lot about intersectionality and, and all of that, um, and she talked about how um, one of the women she interviewed was a, clear, a queer black woman, and in the predominantly black spaces like the Black Student Union, she felt like her queerness was completely being ignored and pushed to the side. Um, but then in queer spaces, her blackness was completely being pushed to the side and they just wanted to talk about her queer, her experience as a queer person. Mm-hmm. So she noticed that and took on this, uh, this like additional emotional labor mm-hmm. of trying to bridge that and trying to bring in more organizations or more activities um, or social spaces for like intersectional identities. Um, but because of that, her academic, uh, like her academic slipped. And she was talking a lot about how like, she had accomplished so much more than a lot of her other undergrads um, and people around her, but it was never gonna be recognized. So I think it sort of ties into that, that the system isn't broken, it's working exactly like it's supposed to because she took on all of this emotional labor Mm -hmm. that was almost like, I think it's a conversation that's being more brought up now of um, people of color and black and indigenous peoples are expected to teach white people about all of this. Yeah. And that's an insanely laborious task and like not their responsibility at all. Like it's on us to do that work and to learn. And it, it is that tricky balance of like, you have to learn it from like lived experience and from the voices, but you can't expect that they're going to teach you forever. Mm. They should be very well compensated. Exactly. If they are going to teach you, they should, Mm -hmm. they should be compensated for their labor because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, this girl, because of all this emotional labor, she was kind of expected to give as a black woman, she suffered and now doesn't have the accomplishments her other counterparts did because but she's accomplished so much more. But she just doesn't the, have That's not paper. the good knowledge. That's yeah. not exactly. The, the that's not the good, good knowledge. knowledge. The emotional labor that counts for nothing in the Eurocentric system. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny too. Like that just makes me think. Like we spend so much time, certainly in drama, like focusing on, um, you know. And if you're interested in building an anti-oppressive classroom, like it starts with creating a sense of, uh, you know, well, like you know, slowly building up a sense of. Um, inclusiveness and you know structures that create that sense of inclusivity and sense of belonging um and then you know I don't know it's like oh now you're just you're in the the, in the big ocean of academia and it's like you have to create that for yourself and that's not valued either like it's funny like I was thinking of the conversation in class the other day about um you know that it's like I guess as much as it's I guess it's a balancing act of like trying to sort of create this new, you know, create, build, build a new world uh, or, you know, better things, but then also recognizing that it's like, that's going to take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And like, we're doing a disservice to our students if we don't also recognize like, this is what you're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, or this is, this is what we're all like sort of beholden to or sort of held down by, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think 
students and it, again like kind of thinking about the, the people that they um, did the research with in these communities there's just like I feel like these kids feel there's just an expectation this is how the world is this is the way we're gonna go okay and they're kids like they don't know especially young like if we're thinking elementary age they don't know to challenge these systems. They don't know yeah. to resist it. I mean, maybe they, if they have parents that bring it up at home, uh, yeah, but they kind of go along for the ride, right? And yeah. then they just kind of, yeah. I think, yeah, in the, in the conversations we had uh, leading up to this, leading up to this wonderful podcast, um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about, like, yeah, they don't know how to challenge those systems, so they can kind of fall into it and, mm. and just accept it because... What else is there for them to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we talked about like uh, one of the one of the other girls who was in uh, interviewed in this article um, is mixed race, and the um, forgetting her name all of a sudden, uh, Acilia, who is the author, talked about how she noticed that this girl um, in predominantly black spaces was upholding a lot of racist and sexist ideals because, and it, this was right from the girl she, or no it was from the author sorry um but she said it was almost like she felt like she had to defend like the white part of her mm-hmm. her white family members and and all of that um but in predominantly white spaces she would fight against it she would fight against people making racist comments or or microaggressions mm-hmm. um so it was almost like she had to adapt for the room she was in and she had to do like eight again times into that emotional labor Mm. um and this article talked a lot because it focused so much on on specifically black women and black girls in predominantly white spaces like there is this i'm trying to find where i wrote it sorry um there is this notion of like well if that's all people think about me and see me for like why wouldn't i just do it why am i going to expend all this energy Mm -hmm. to get them to change their mind if they just already have an opinion of me and I think that ties in a lot to freedom writers and the class and you could Mm -hmm. say like any of those kind of uplift like uplifting sort of like white savior movies where it's supposed to be the inner city school Mm -hmm. and the most often white teacher Um, Michelle Pfeiffer in a leather jacket yeah (laughs) and this just yeah like I think of um of Kumba in in the class writing to the teacher saying like if you don't respect me i'm not going to respect you like yeah. why which is like fair play yeah. that is fair absolutely yeah. like, <laughs> you're a human yeah like, <laughs> you're not only are you human you're you're a 14 year old girl like yeah yeah why would you expend all that energy for someone who doesn't respect you and yeah. and yeah these kids feel like all anyone is ever going to see them for is is going to an inner city school or where we had a conversation about like alt schools and how they mm. get the reputation that some of them have like yeah, it's just this, why would I fight when I know I'm not going to change anybody's minds? And it's, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's it, I can't imagine how defeating that would feel. Yeah. Well, it's I, like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, go away. Like, again, that cyclical thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see yourself represented and you're not being respected. So then you, like, you give up and you fall into these expectations and then there's no one for the next group to see as, like, their role, like, role models and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's also cyclical mm-hmm. and it's harder to get out of it too the longer you're in it mm-hmm. if anything right like once it becomes your being like mm-hmm. how do you go against that so to think we're putting students out into the workforce and that's how they feel like 
sad. Really sad. And and I also think too, it's like there's that there's that sort of um, split with like things that are relevant to your everyday life in the present, like not just like your departure from the school system, mm -hmm. but it's like yeah, with the class and with um, you know Miss G, Miss <laughs> G's class, like quite literally, they're speaking different languages, and like these kids yeah. can only be understood by those like white savior teachers, or I mean even sometimes like. Um, you know, Mr. F Mr. French is not uh, Mr. French. Mr. French. Mr. French man. Mr. Marin. Mr. I think it's yeah. Mr. French. I like Mr. French. Um, he, but I sort of like I did start to like have that in my head because I couldn't remember his name and like seeing him was like capital F like well I guess it would always be capital F French but just that thing of like this colonial force like sort of. Um, um, only being able to understand your students within the context of, uh, you know, a colonial um, system. And, and also, like, I kept landing on this idea of, like, the restrictiveness of a binary-oriented system. Because, yeah, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it has to be, it's like, oh, are you a good kid or a bad kid? Mm -hmm. Are you a, you know, are you a white kid or something other than white? But people you know are what I mean? so it's much like, more complex than that. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it yeah. can't be so black and white yeah lack of a better phrase but yeah and I was just thinking like with Mr. French you just said something and we're we're only <laughs> seeing these kids unless you build a relationship but yeah like what is beyond the classroom and all of that is going to affect how you're learning mm -hmm. um so I think yeah and and again with the research that they did with the this community in India like they're they're looking at how they interact with the land and that's part of their life like they they interview them of how they how they get water and they have to respond to when there's a drought there's no water and how does that affect their world how does it affect the daily routine so you have to think about these micro things that add up to really big things mm -hmm. um and and like so just as teachers like start thinking about like what is happening in our community and what might be affecting our students the whole child. The whole, whole child. child. We're yeah. forward another quote by Fatima, hey. where she says, each child represents a micro-ethnic group for which teachers need to become aware of their schemata that refle reflects their worldview. Yeah. Um, mm. And then coming back to Ms. G um, <laughs> and Freedom Writers, I thought, like, because, you know, her whole theme is like, I'm going to teach these kids about oppression through all this literature. Like, this is literature about oppression. And so I thought it would be interesting to look more into what the actual, the real Miss G gave that group of kids in that, oh, yeah. in that first year. Yeah. So yes, Anne Frank, um, you know, like she is a marginalized person, but still sort of in this Eurocentric realm. Mm -hmm. um, and she uh, gave them another book by a Jewish author, as well as one by a child uh, written, like another diary type thing in Bosnia during the war. Um, which again, yes, oppression and, and horrible things are happening, but still Eurocentric, very white presenting. And then, you know, in the movie you see um, Durango Street being given to them, and I didn't know much about this, and you know, Ava, the character, loves it and tries to give it to her dad um, in prison, and you know, it's, you know, uh, the cover is a, a, a black child youth um, with the chain link fence, and you know, oh great, I thought it was, you know, a story about gang violence and racialized gang violence written by an actually racialized person, but no, it's written by Frank Bonham, who also wrote some amazing books um, about cowboys and Indians, and mm -hmm. like is a very white author, and 
wrote like some terrible titles for his other books and I just thought that was so interesting that you know she thinks she's being super in tune with these kids by giving them a book about racialized gang violence mm. and stuff and it's written by a very racist white man mm, yeah. I think even just that sentence of uh, I'm gonna teach these kids about oppression like a like a white a white woman teaching yeah. racialized yeah. Kids let me tell about you about your experience let me tell you exactly. how you've been oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. like yeah, oh like, yeah when, when these kids have already been like I th- it, t- it ties into actually I don't know if it ties into this but I'm just gonna say it anyway um, <laughs> in the, and I've been hearing this conversation so much more now of especially when we talk about um, residential schools and the backlash from parents um, of like well we can't teach these kids they're too young to understand it or even mm. about like critical race theory like we can't teach the kids they're too young to get it but it's like okay well the indigenous kids and, and the black kids and, the, and like everyone else they've had no choice but to learn it young Mm-hmm. Because it's been their reality. Yeah. So it's like... Well, and for yeah. the white kids, too. It's like, that's the thing. Like, you are in it. Like, you're in it already. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you if you you not doing that, you are already active in it. Like, exactly. it's just that exactly. same thing of, like, the default, yeah. the dominant mm-hmm. story is the one that goes. And it's like, you think you're not an active agent in it. But, like, you are. we are all, like, under the same thing. Yeah, we're all complacent. Mm-hmm. You're either, you know, it's like an innocent bystander. That's an oxymoron, you know, like, to me. Anyway... Mm-hmm. I, okay, the, my article was um, uh, by Manuel uh, Lopez Pereira, Queering Freire's Pedagogies, Resistance, Empowerment, and Transgression in Teacher Training. Um, and then, you know, I think many of us are familiar with Freire's um, work, but it's, um, his pedagogies are meant to empower and emancipate oppressed groups by offering them tools to interrogate and deconstruct social structures and then transform them. And... Um, and then queering, like, you know, we're thinking of queer, I mean, in, like, sort of the, the sense of um, gender and sexuality, but also beyond that as well. Like, sort of, I guess, use the springboard image again, too. Like, it's just thinking of that, that term as a verb in a more expansive way to queer. Um, so here, well, here's a little bit about it. My quote is, queer pedagogy is about questioning our identities. It represents resistance to normalization and to the continuous production of inequalities. It cuts through the heteronormalized social and cultural fabric. It is to be aware of social reality. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's very interesting because in that sense, I think throughout this article, it's like, it's it's sort of doing two things to my mind. Like it's sort of recognizing that there, um, that there is there is sort of an absolute truth. I think it's like this balancing act we have to do. There is an absolute truth of like systemic racism and systemic oppression um, exists, but then also there are like multiple um, alternatives to the dominant and multiple identities within. You know, there's yeah, there's there's so much complexity in the human experience. I found it very interesting. I've had to catch myself because, of course, like we're trying to draw comparisons and create, you know, affinities and stuff like that. So naturally, it's like okay, threading things together. But I found myself trying to like just constantly like as I was like underlining things and highlighting things, I was missing out the part where we talk about quote the global South or Latin America, which is like a lot of what the the um, writers referencing and a lot of what the, the experience. Um, stems from but um, you know but that was in an effort because you know that's outside of my geography and my experience Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that it's like there again okay it's like I'm sort of like 
you know, it's like that dance of like taking, taking inspiration from and taking ideas from, um, you know, like indigenous ways of knowing, for example, um, or, you know, voices of marginalized groups, but understanding that it's like, we can't really appropriate that. Like it has to be like, there has to be sort of the recognition of, um, you know, specific, if you're not being specific, then you're, you're in trouble, you know? Um, so I don't know. I just, that was interesting. I was thinking that, that being said, it's like to queer, yeah, to queer things. Um, I think that can extend to all, all sorts of, um, disciplines and geographies and it's just, yeah, it's just about that resistance to the dominance. So like turning to, I don't know, turning to indigenous ways of knowing, I think Mm -hmm. is very, is very generative, um, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking too, like, it just, it just makes me think again of, like, Dr. Kim Tallbear. Um, we um, mm-hmm. were discussing her a little bit before, just, um, she writes and talks about sort of eco-sexuality, and, um, but there's, there's one little thing in, in one of her papers, and I'm sorry, I'll have to put it in writing, because I don't remember the title of it, but she's talking about queering, and, but importantly, she makes this, this um, distinction that she's not talking about queering the indigenous ways of knowing she's like that's very much its own thing like that that basically if it looks like queering it's already present in that way of knowing um and then what she's doing is sort of using it and yeah i guess springboarding and relating it to other things um but i mean like those like i think like environmental action and like creating anti-oppressive um spaces and stuff all those ideas can be can, are already present in indigenous ways of knowing. Mm-hmm. That was a long blurb. That's good. But I don't know. So what do we do? Push. So what do we do about what, it all? What, what do we do, do, we do, do about do? it all? We do this work. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's great. Like, there's so many. There's such a through line between all four of our articles about like positionality and and looking at our privilege and looking at what voices we're bringing into the classroom and what like voices are behind us telling us what voices to bring into the classroom like looking up to the top of the oh another quote (laughs) why Why does education have to be a hierarchy and not a circle like that idea of like it coming down from the top and coming down to us on the second to last run and then the kids but like the circle of sharing knowledge and ways of learning and Mm. knowing. Um, But I think that's present in all, like, all of our articles. Definitely. And just cyclical impacts. It's interesting because I think there's cyclical for, like, earlier we were mentioning in kind of, like, a negative way. And I think it can be for for positive, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think of cycles as positive, just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going with that, but no, it's, it's happy circle. Happy circle. Happy circle. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I. It sounds like there. Yeah, there is a through line, and like thinking of thinking of the whole child, thinking of and yourself as a whole person, a compli- you know, complex yeah. person. And I guess oh, and you know, and I guess like another part of that maybe like with the reciprocal knowledge, it's like what that's not doing is assuming like mastery Mm -hmm. you know that it's like this is the pinnacle of knowledge like you must know like Anne Frank and that's not to say that you know um, that part of our history is not important but it's that Mm -hmm. there are so many other histories and events and experiences that are equally important yeah the individualized child the individualized experience 
well. Well, I mean, now that we finished our bottle of wine, yeah, we read the things and then we do the things. Mm -hmm. Read the things, do the things, know your students, the whole student, the environment that the student is in, living, learning, it all takes effect. Mm -hmm. Grab your own glass of wine and wine about pedagogy. Wine about pedagogy. Wine about pedagogy. Please note that the opinions expressed by these teacher candidates about pedagogy are not necessarily true all the time and are merely an expression of the malaise they feel during this long summer term. Thank you.